Well, good morning. All right, so I want to do a little review. We've got a number of new people, new faces in here today, so I want you to know where we've come from and as we're moving in. So we're doing meditations on the Psalms, and, and two weeks ago, we did Psalm 1 and Psalm 119. So Psalm 1, the focus in Psalm 1 was two ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, the way of blessing and the way of cursing. Um, and it sets the standard as we move forward through the Psalms. It sets the standard for um, what, what we should be looking at. What demonstrates the way of the righteous and what demonstrates the way of the wicked and how we should be living. Psalm 119 gives us two revelations, general revelations. The heavens declare the glory of God, the big picture. And then special revelation, um, the purpose of God in his law, statutes, precepts. And we're going to actually come back to 19 today because it, it directly connects to 139. Um, then we were in Psalm 121 last week, and we talked about how God is our helper um, who made heaven and earth. He, he helps us. God is our keeper who does not rest. He does not sleep. He does not slumber, but he always keeps us. And how he is our protector who keeps us from all evil. Remember, that doesn't mean that we never encounter evil, but that we, never, we can, when we trust Yahweh, never fall into evil ourselves. God is our preserver. He keeps us to eternity. That's where eternal, our eternal life comes from. And then Psalm 127, Yahweh is the builder, Yahweh is the watcher, and as we build and as we watch, if Yahweh isn't, <clears throat> if Yahweh isn't where we are looking for our dependence, then none of the work and none of the watching and none of the family that you build matters. So Yahweh is the builder, Yahweh is the watcher, Yahweh builds your family. And all the work that you do doesn't matter unless Yahweh is the focus. So that brings us into Psalm 139. So if you'll turn to one Psalm 139. Now, three questions that are in my mind as I'm reading through Psalm 139. Question one, do I understand who God is? Question two, do I understand who I am as a member of the human race? And then question three, how should we live based off of one and two? So that's what I want you to be thinking about as we process through 139. So uh, I'm going to read a section at a time and then meditate through that section and then keep moving through. So uh, here we go, verses one to six. O Yahweh, you have searched me and known me. Catch the past tense there. You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. He understands. He sees. When you're sitting, when you're standing, when you're moving, when you're not moving. You understand my thoughts from afar. No matter how far you travel, no matter where you go, he knows your thoughts. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. Scrutinize. He's looking at it and he is making a judgment. He's determining. 
the things that you're doing, good or bad, good or evil. And you're laying down, even in your sleep, good or evil, the thoughts that are in your mind. And you are intimately acquainted with all my ways. It doesn't matter if it's your thinking, your actions, what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your mind, the physical things that you do as you move through your day. He is intimately acquainted with everything that you do. Even before there was a word on my tongue. Even before there was a word on my tongue. Some of us talk before we think. Even before the word was on your tongue. Surely, or behold, Yahweh, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before. He knows what's behind you. He knows what's before you. He he puts walls around you. He encloses you. And you have put your hand on me. We see that, that personal touch. He's putting his hand on you. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain to it. Are you amazed by the fact that, and we're talking about God's, the attributes of God here. This is very specifically talking about one attribute of God. The fact that he knows all. Theological term, he's omniscient. But let's, let's keep it real. He knows all. He knows your thoughts. He knows your actions. The ones that are done around people. The ones that are done by yourself. He knows all of it. Good and bad. He knows it all. Verse 7. Now we're jumping into a different attribute of God. Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? Very interesting question David asks here. If I ascend to heaven, you are there. Think of it from this perspective. He's doing contrasts here. When I ascend to heaven, heaven, the place where the redeemed will live forever. God's gracious presence, his merciful presence given to us. What's the contrast? If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. I grew up. In a church that taught me that God's in heaven and he's not in hell. And so if you go to hell, you are separated from God. Which in a way is true. But the reality is this. What is hell? What is Sheol, the place of the dead? What is death? It is separation from God. But if God is everywhere, if God is not limited by time and space, can he be separated in hell well his wrath is what hell is about so you're separated from the graciousness and the mercy and the compassion of god but you full know full well his wrath if you are in hell and ultimately what's adam told at the beginning well this always goes back to genesis right what's adam told in the beginning if you if you disobey you will surely die, surely die. So even death in its representation shows us 
the results of disobedience. So in, in, God's, in, in the heavens, in God's grace and mercy, he is there. And even in hell, in Sheol, in death, God's wrath, he is there. You cannot separate, get separated from him. If I lift up the wings of the dawn, and here's another contrast. Um, which direction does the dawn happen in? In the east. Okay, hold on to that. And if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, well, if you lived in Jerusalem, the sea was to the west. So it doesn't matter how far east you go or how far west you go, you can't get away from him. Even there, your hand will lead me. Now, remember back the first one? His hand is up upon us. Now, his hand is leading us. Think of your, those of you that have children or grandchildren. The best way to keep your child walking in the right path is to hold their hand. And your right hand will lay hold of me. Now I'm going to stop there because that, we talked about verses 1 through 6. God is all-knowing. He knows all. Verses 7 to 10, he is, not, he is not limited by time or space. That The, tech, the, the theological term there would be omnipresent, his omnipresence. But he's everywhere. He's not limited by time. He's not limited by space. So are you, are you seeing the picture of who God is? There, there's two words. I posted that this week. Um, this psalm should lead you two places. Awe at who God is and terror at who God is. Uh, hey, fallen person, God sees all. Person who sinned this morning or last night or, 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 or 10 minutes before you walked to the door. God sees all. He was there when it happened. Do you, do you see why that should raise terror in your heart? The awe of he's an all-knowing God and he's everywhere. He's an all-knowing God and he's everywhere. There should be awe and terror moving into verse 11. If I say, surely the darkness will bruise me and the light around me will be night. We've had days like that, right? Where even when it's light out, we still feel like we're in darkness. Or uh, I'm going to commit the sin in dark because nobody sees me. Even the darkness is not too dark for you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Third attribute of God, his omnipotence. Darkness has no power for him. Now, let me read this to you. Think of it from this perspective. You're somebody... Um, and I'm going to try to read... I'm going to read this as it is, and I'm going to try to put it in more common vernacular too. The foulest enormities of human conduct 
have always striven to cover themselves with the shroud of night. All of the, the despicable and evilness happens at night because it's unseen. The thief, the counterfeiter, the assassin, the robber, the murderer, the seducer, they feel comparatively safe in the midnight darkness because no human eye can scrutinize their actions. Remember that word from back at the beginning of 139? But what if the, it should turn out that the night is unblocking of the photographer? What if wicked men, as they open their eyes from the sleep of death, as they enter the next world, should find the universe hung around with faithful pictures of all of their sins, which, which, with which they have to, they thought was forever lost in the darkness, but is now on display for eternity. Even the darkness is not too dark for you. And the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. Do you understand that no matter how dark the place is that you're in, whether it's through suffering or whether it's through sin, that God is not surprised and he still sees Calvin's quote, we are ashamed to let men know and witness our delinquencies. I don't want people to know my sin. But we are indifferent to what God thinks of us as if our sins were covered and veiled from from his inspection. Do you think the darkness covers your sin? It does not. Do you see God here? He's all-knowing. He knows everything. He sees everything. He's everywhere. And nothing as even as darkness can keep him from seeing and from being there. Do you see the enormity of who God is? Let's take it one step further. Verse 13 to 16. Now, verses 13 to 16 are verses that are routinely used in our current society when talking about the abortion issue and that rightfully should be but please don't close your mind into thinking it's only about abortion and I'm hoping as we walk through this you will see this verse 13 for you formed my inward parts the word for formed is quana and it means to own to possess to redeem. So even in the beginning, when God is forming you in the womb, He is redeeming those unformed pieces. He is possessing those unformed pieces. Do you see God's perfect ownership in this? You wove me in my mother's womb. The, the word wove in the Hebrew has the idea of uh, very fine needlework. Um, the, uh, 
Mikami and Pam, um, and Layla, who, who are crocheters and knitters and, and sewers, if you were to watch them work, you would understand the amount of time and dedication and focus that's required to complete those things, which to us looks so basic. But to see the work that they put in and the stitches that they do and the attention to detail and think about the fact that God does that when he knits together the baby in the womb. And what's David's response just to those first two sentences? He hasn't even gotten into it yet. I will give thanks to you. This is intimate knowledge. God has intimate knowledge of that one formed in the womb. Before it's even born, he knows it intimately. For I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully. Think of it from this perspective. Of all of creation, the only thing that can truly fear eternal life or eternal death is humans. Animals can't. Plants don't. Fish don't. Dolphins don't. Apes don't. Only humans have the capacity of understanding the future and what's coming and the fear that's involved with that. Think about it. How many people in our country are spending every penny that they own to maintain where they are right now? Some of the biggest people in biotech are getting complete blood transfusions every year because they're trying to maintain what they are right now. Why? Because they're afraid of death. Fearfully made. We are made because we will fear what's coming. But the second piece to that, wonderfully made. You guys know that I've been teaching for about 16, 17 years, 15 of that teaching science. Okay? Um, I am absolutely dumbfounded at how any scientist or any doctor can possibly believe that evolution is true. Number one. And number two, do the heinous things that they do to unborn children and to the old. Why? We are wonderfully made. Have you ever taken into consideration all of it? Have you ever looked into the, how the eye works? All of the pieces that come together for humans to be able to see how it's intricately connected, or hearing, how it's intricately connected, and how all of these pieces work together. It doesn't happen by accident. We are wonderfully made. And when we talk about that he is, we are intricately woven, verse 15, we are intricately woven in the depths of the earth. That depths of the earth is the mindset of deep minds where things are being pulled out of the womb is treated as if it's a hidden place a secret place where we are intricately woven have you thought about the fact that arteries and muscles and blood vessels and veins and all of the different parts of the body how all of those pieces come together and work and how the effect of the affliction on one of those pieces affects so much more in the body 
We have nurses here. They can tell you all about that. How can you not see the wonder in the creation of the human being? And, And that's what he says here. Wonderful are your works. The end of 14. And hear this. And my soul knows it well. Anybody who says that they don't believe it, they're lying to you. They know. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Now, your eye has seen my unshaped substance. Now, you hear what that says, right? Un, unshaped substance. People will say, well, you know, the, it's not a human life in the womb because as it's growing, the, they're not, it's, all the parts aren't there yet. And you hear what this says? Your unshaped substance. Your eyes, God's eyes has seen your unshaped substance. So, it, yeah, there is a time when those pieces aren't shaped yet. But in God's eyes, that doesn't change the fact that this is something that's been fearfully and wonderfully made in his eyes. And this is so, this is so amazing. And in your book, all of them were written. Now, what's interesting is, think of it from this perspective. David, we, we talked about um, last week, uh, Psalm 127. It says, unless Yahweh builds the house. It was a, a, a psalm by Solomon who built the house of God. Right? And David wrote down specifically for Solomon a book that said this is exactly how the house is to be built. Do you think it's interesting that David here says that God's book that was written even before we are formed, he's got a book that's already written down on how that's going to look. Do you see the amazing piece of that? Um, But think of it from this perspective. Abraham Wright has a quote, and I, and I put it in Eng, modern English because it was, it was a challenge. Many are ashamed to be seen as God made them. Isn't that true today? Even if we're not talking about... We could, we could talk about abortion. We could talk about people who... And, and if you have lived this, okay, um, this is not an attack on you personally. We can have conversations about this, but... This is, uh, listening to um, some things this week, this is very current, okay? How many people do in vitro fertilization specifically for the purpose of choosing the child that they want to have? Blue eyes, brown eyes, blonde hair, no deformities, at least from our perspective, deformities. Many are ashamed to be seen as God made them. Or let's jump to the LGBTQ movement. Transgenderism, which we're dealing with in my family. My extended family. Shamed to be seen as God made you. But they're not ashamed to be seen as the devil has made them. Many are troubled at the small defects in the physical man. Um, we need to get our 
baby tested before it's born to see if it's got any kind of complications or difficulties. Why? Few are troubled by the great deformities of sin in their own heart. Are you as worried about the deformity of sin in your own heart as you are about the physical deformities of that baby? Now, don't get me wrong. If you're wanting to know so you can prepare to be a good parent to that child, by all means, find those things out. But you know, Jesus told the people in the New Testament that that person was born blind, not because of something they did or their parents did, but for the glory of God. Maybe the baby that you're being given that has this deformity is because God wants to put himself on display in your family. Many buy artificial beauty to cover the natural beauty. Few use supernatural beauty of a meek and quiet spirit to cover the defects of the soul. That's what we're talking about. The days, verse 16, the days that were formed for me when as yet there was not one of them. It doesn't matter how, it doesn't matter. And this goes to Oh, gosh. In the current climate, you know as well as I do, abortion has become very, very acceptable to even Christians. But what's next? Where does it stop? The aged? The physically sick? Those that whose bodies are broken but their mind is not? It doesn't change the fact that they are created, number one, in the image of God, and number two, specifically for his glory. And to think about all of these things. How precious are your thoughts to me, O God. Do you notice he changes? You wouldn't notice unless you've got the same version that I have. He started verse 1, O Yahweh. Remember, that's the covenant name of God. God is making a covenant with us. He switches here to El, the God who is mighty and powerful and strong. He changes the word he uses for God here. Think about it. Our omnipotent God, the all-knowing God, the all-powerful God, the one who is not bothered by time and space. You see how his mind has grown to this, who God is. How precious are your thoughts. These verses 1 to 16 are his thoughts. For us as man, mankind, for, for the babies in the womb, for the baby born with a defect, for the old person that's struggling with dementia, for the person who has ALS and whose body is broken, whose mind is not. These are God's thoughts towards them. How vast is the sum of them? If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake... I'm still with you. This great God, this mighty God who is all-powerful and all-knowing, and when I wake up in the morning, he's still there. And then the psalm changes. 
verse 19. God is all-knowing. God is all, all places, not bound by time and space. God is all-powerful. God is our perfect owner. God's justice will be done. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. Still that powerful name, that God of might, of strength. Not the, not, the, not the Yahweh, not the covenant keeper now, the mighty and strong one. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. O oh, men of bloodshed, depart from me. David is given an option in this moment. He can either join the evil and be destroyed with them or separate himself from the evil. We have the same choice. Oh, men of bloodshed. Um, I want to be perfectly honest. Uh, If you are paying any, any kind of attention to what goes on in our country in the last year, you know who this is talking to. People like Gavin Newsom, governor of California, who uses God's word to, to advocate for murder. It's been on billboards around the country. For they speak against you wickedly and your enemies take your name in vain. Our president and his spokespeople who will quote verses to suit their own means, but still advocate for outright and in-your-face sin and murder of infants. This is who he's talking to for us. A little too rough? Continue on. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Yahweh? And do I not revile those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. Are you uncomfortable yet? But, but, but Greg, uh, Matthew and Luke says, love your enemies. Yes, it does. But does God hate and love? Uh, let me answer that for you. I told you we get to Psalm chapter 11. Verse 5. Yahweh tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. How about Psalm 5, 4 through 6. You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil does not journey with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all workers of iniquity. You destroy those who speak falsehood. Yahweh abhors the man of bloodshed, bloodshed and deceit. God hates. God hates sinners. Remember the awe and the terror? God hates sinners. But Greg, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Yes, it does. But what's the rest of the verse say? He gave his only begotten son that we should not perish, but have eternal life. God's justice is, it is. And it's there. And his hatred is there. His love 
caused him to send Christ to the cross, that Christ would choose to go, live for 33 years a perfect life, showing that we couldn't do it, but he could. Die on the cross for our sins, and when we repent and look to his sacrifice, the judgment no longer stands before us. But those who, as verse 20 said, speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain, that judgment is still there for them. So, well, this is uncomfortable. Can we pray this? Yes. But. Even our very condemnation of what is evil requires us to be tested. Does your hatred of evil, does your condemnation of evil spring from the love of God? Do you love God so much that you hate to see him dishonored? Does it stem from your hatred of sin? Do you hate your sin as much as you hate their sin? Does your condemnation of what is evil come from an attachment to holiness that you are, as far as you know, living a holy life so that you can look at evil and call it what it is and pray that God would give it what it deserves? Or does it spring, and uh, this is, is Morrison, does it spring from ostentation? What does that mean? Oh, I just want it to look like I'm upset, but I'm not really. I, I, I go to a church that believes this is true, so I just need to look like I'm upset. Because that's what I should look like. Uh, from blaming feelings. How dare you? From hypocritical pretense, you're not really offended. Or do you have a desire to please other fallen people? Well, you know, I, I, I like my pastor, and he's upset about this, so I should be upset about this. And you know, David even understood this. You know why? Look at the next verse. Search me, O oh God. He's railing in 19 to 22. He's railing on evildoers. You think he's going to continue, right? Search me, O oh God. And know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any hurtful way in me. Um, I want to jump back to 19 just for a second because you got to see this. We didn't get to this when we covered 19. I can't ignore it now. Verses 11 to 14. Moreover, by them, that's the laws of Yahweh, the precepts of Yahweh, the commandments of Yahweh, by them, your slave is warned. Talking to us, we are warned in keeping them there is great reward. Hear this. Who can discern his errors? 
Acquit me of hidden faults. You are deceptive, even to yourself. You don't recognize even your own sins. You know some of them, because that's what the next verse says. Keep me back from, keep your slave back from presumptuous sins. Well, no, I, I know my sins. You know some of them. But there are hidden ones that you're not even aware of because of your own bent heart. Let them not rule over me. Then I will be blameless. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. Flip back to 139. Verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. Can we be righteously anger for the abortions that are happening in our country? Yes. Can we pray that God would judge sin? Yes. Search me, God. Do you see the balance? Do you see the balance? Search me, God, and know my heart. Try me. Try y'all. Um, you need to be very careful praying this prayer. The difference between a converted man and an unconverted man is not that one has sin and the other has none but that one takes part with his cherished sins against a dreaded God and the other takes part with a a reconciled God against his hated sins. We can only be righteously angry and pray for God's glory to be shown in the punishment of evil if our hearts are right. And it's not... Hear this. It's not personal. This person has hurt me. Can I still pray this against them? Yes. As long as your desire for this prayer is to see them come to know Christ and be reconciled to God. And that if they choose, they choose not to be reconciled to God then God will be wrathful and unmerciful. If you can't pray this without a vengeful and and difficult spirit, then don't pray this. Because where it says, search me, O God, and know my heart, count the cost. Because if you pray it, he will. covered 11 just a little bit. I'm not going to get to it. But if you read through 11, go back and read through 11. We're not going to go to 11 next week. Read through 11. What you're going to see is 11 echoes 139. It's the same thing. Let's pray. Father, we are absolutely humbled at your greatness, that you are all powerful, that you know
all that's going on, even in the dark, you see, you take pictures. It will be something that, that will never, never get away from your sight. Lord, we desire righteousness because you desire righteousness. Father, make us righteous. Father, if we pray these things, give us the right heart to want salvation and repentance for those that are, that are defiling your name. And if they choose not to repent, Lord, please bring your wrath. But more than anything, Father, give yourself glory in all of these things. Help us to see you afresh this week as we walk through our day to day. In the lives of the little children, help us to recognize your presence. In Jesus' name.